S-G-A-S-I Podcast is a listener-supported show. Your donations are crucial and more far-reaching than you know. A big thanks for filling the need, and remember no man is too small. Please give an A-S-I 24-7.O-R-G. Thanks for downloading the A-S-I Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Shaw. All right. Cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. I never realized I was bad too thin. Till it was too late. And I was empty within. Hurry, feeding no chaos and living in sin. Devil's bottle, where do I begin? It all started when I lost my mother. No love for myself and no love for another. Searching to find a love upon a higher. Yes, that's two different bumper tunes with two very different kinds of energy. <laughs> so, uh, ASI247.org, I am your host, Russ Shaw. That's the website. My email address is Russ at the website, which is, and it bears repeating, ASI247.org. You can uh, get in touch with me there. Send an email. Uh, let's talk, let's chat about this stuff, all right? At Russ Shaw, all one word, is my uh, Twitter handle, by the way. Anyhow, getting into the show today, I want to raise a question. Why, why so much relapse, right? I, I'll say it that way. That's another thing I like about the spoken word and doing a audio blog kind of a thing, right? Is because the spoken word carries energy. Spoken word does, right? Like if I just put that on the top headline of a blog, like you could read that a bunch of different ways. Why so much relapse? You know, that's one energy. Or why so much relapse? You know, like you're frustrated with whoever, someone else's relapse. Or why so much relapse? Like, why do I keep doing this over and over again? It's the number one question that I've been asked over the years. I've been doing this podcast for going on, what, seven years now. And it, that is question different ways, different ways of asking it hundreds of times. Why so much relapse? And I'm going to attempt to answer that today. And I also wanted to give you some strategy and some tools for fighting this thing. Because step one, right, and going into some more on step one, step one is so critically important. Like, you are done. You are tired. Like, my my last resort. Like, that kind of energy. Like, let's, let's kick this freaking thing. Let's start in a direction. I'm tired of this. And I, I pray that you're there. I, I pray that you get there if you're not there. I pray that your heart is busted over this thing. And you're, you're ready to start in a new direction. I read a quote by Mike Tyson this morning that I shared on Twitter, which I thought was awesome. Um, Mike Tyson said, everyone has plans until you get hit. Now, that's a big part of... Uh, taken on step one and taken on this addiction step one you ask what is it 
We admitted we are powerless over our addiction and that our lives have become unmanageable. Two things I geek out about, and that's psychology and theology. Like, I love theology, I love psychology, I love figuring out how, how folks think, right? How, understanding my own life and my own jacked up, you know, ways of doing things. <laughs> my own sinister ways of thought. That Don't let anybody fool you, by the way. If you, you know anybody in your family who's a psychologist, who is interested in psychology, they're usually pretty disturbed people. It's just true. That's why, right? That's why they're trying to figure out psychology. It's not necessarily... Well, sure, they want to be do something good for the world, but they also are trying to understand themselves to some degree. You know, uh, hopefully they're honest about that. Maybe that's a good test for finding a counselor. <laughs> Just ask them, what brings you to this field of, of work, right? Um, see if they're honest. They'll start with, well, I want to help people and stuff, and I'm a messed up human being myself. Hopefully that's their answer. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I digress. Moving on with the, uh, with the topic, um, step one and being powerless. This is a very cool interaction of theology and psychology right here. I'm listening to some lectures at Liberty University, I believe it's called, Liberty College, on the integration of theology and psychology, which is really interesting. And the, again, the 12 steps are are that, that integration, are a big part of that. Started out as the Oxford group way back in the, you know, 20s. And then in the 30s, it's when Bill W. became involved about 1931, and that's uh, how how the 12 steps as we know them were born. Uh, I'll go into some history on the 12 steps later, but I really wanted to focus in on, again, some more on this step, answer some email, hopefully with some of my answer here, and kind of get underneath behavior modification a little bit. Because there's a layer underneath it, right? This is a this is a step. Doing a step is great, but doing a step is kind of a behavior modification thing, right? But this step is really a realization. It's coming to an understanding and admitting that you are not perfect, that you're not God. All right, that's a big part of it. If you think that you are the center of the universe, then you have no problems. Right? The world needs to revolve around you, and that is a big part of why people are so incredibly addicted. Why a lot of folks are addicted is because that they actually believe somewhere down deep that the world needs to revolve around them. It's, it's kind of an immaturity, really. Two-year-olds have it, right? I had it until I was, I don't know, 35. I, I still struggle with thinking that the world needs to revolve around me. It's just basic selfishness. But it's selfishness with a certain self-doping kind of property. Um, Habit-building kind of uh, paradigm, right? Something we get stuck in. Bill W. himself was asked this question, you know, why so much relapse? Why does it not work in some cases for some folks? And here is, here's Bill W.'s uh, answer to that, and I'm, I'm not going to say I agree with it. I'm just going to throw it out there and let you, uh, let you chew on it, because there is some good truth here. Uh, he said this, 
those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually, men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. That's a quote by uh, the big man himself, B -W, Bill B.W., right? Anyway, the guy who wrote the big book. This uh, has also very much to do with groups. Um, so I'm going to fast forward 80, 70, 80 years past this statement and talk about some social psychology, but I wanted to start with Patrick Carnes. And, and the reason I'm doing these podcasts on the 12 Steps or some of his research, and a big part of it, and I think the meat of it, was being in in a social setting with other people who struggle with the same compulsion and have a an attitude of goal setting and success towards finding some freedom and victory over that compulsion, right? Like not sitting in a group with a bunch of people who have a defeatist attitude who just complain all the time, but people with genuine heart level, right? Getting up when they're knocked down type of folks walking towards the, a goal. That's what he was talking about. And, and the big part of that was 12 step because 12 steps were the bulk of people who were in that kind of social setting were in 12 step groups. Uh, I was in men's groups w when I took on the, the sexual addiction stuff. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy that I actually heard from a radio pastor. I think it was Charles Stanley or something like that. But I, I, I know I've said it before, but it bears repeating, all right? It has a lot to do with this topic. Um, everyone is kind of, people are like a business, right? If you think of a small business as like a bakery or a barbershop or, or something like that, right? You walk up to the counter and everybody that you do business with, most people that you see come in contact with on a daily basis, they see you from one side of the counter, right? Like, you know, you go to your mechanic or whatever. I, I don't know, but you get what I'm saying. Like behind the counter is not where everyone goes. Mostly customers stay outside, out of that side of the counter. But there's a select few people who you let behind the counter in your life, who actually you can be vulnerable to, that you can be transparent to. You don't want to let just everyone behind the counter. And there's some people that have done that. I think I've done that in some of my recovery. And a lot of it just came out as pride, right? Like I'm proud of my own brokenness. Look how much of a scumbag I am. I almost want you to judge me so that I can fight you. <laughs> right? That's just me. But, um, so it's not entirely healthy to let, just let everybody behind your counter, is it? It's not. Um, Jesus in the Bible talks about, you know, casting your pearls to pigs. You know, you, you don't, you don't just take what's valuable. And this is in the context of judgment, by the way. You don't take what's valuable to you and just let everyone, you know, in behind the counter in your life. It's having some people that you can be vulnerable around, that you can feel safe around, and that may take some time, 
and there's going to be some courage involved in, in letting those folks behind the counter. But I've noticed that a lot of addicts and a lot of people with really jacked up compulsive behavior problems have very, very few people, if any, and most of them I know are men, they, they don't let anyone behind the counter, right? Like somebody I let behind the counter bashed up, you know, my back office, so I ain't going to let no one back there no more, and they just start to leak, right, or bleed, and pus comes out, right, and it's, it's ugly and nasty, and you're trying to keep yourself together, and you can't, and that's another big part of this step, step one, I have a problem, my life has become unmanageable, there's some of you who are thinking, um, well, uh, Russ, if I open myself up, uh, I might get hurt. I'm afraid to talk about some of these things. I'm not ready to talk about some of these things. Um, there's some of you who have been emailing me for years. And listen, the definition of insanity and the definition of addiction are very much the same. I'm doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result and just receiving more of the same. More pain, more shame, more isolation. Right? Listen, I know it's scary, but I love you enough, and as your coach, I'm willing to yell at you a little because I love you and say, stop making excuses! Pick up the phone. You go to your church and ask if there's a men's group or a woman's group and start to talk about this stuff. Find a 12-step group in your community and, and find some brothers or sisters that you can confide in, that you can be vulnerable around. And listen, this is going to take some time, all right? Getting emotionally naked in front of everyone. You think you're just going to go bust into a group and and I had to repent of some of this myself. Like I'm just going to I'm just going to lay it all out there, right? It's going to be emotionally naked and you know like a streaker at a football game or something like that. You, when it comes to these kind of relationships, they grow over time. All right, you can't just walk into a group expecting to hit the popcorn button and have this thing all, you know, open and, and, and wow, right in the first meeting. That doesn't work that way. And some of you have quit groups because it didn't happen as fast as you thought it should. It's perseverance and it's going to take a few, three, two, four, or five weeks. I don't know. You, you find your place to expose your heart. All right. Well, they might hurt me, Russ, if I expose this deep thing. I know that's why they call it being vulnerable. All right. That's fear. And the way you conquer fear is through faith. All right. It's like, it's like putting a blindfold on, opening a door and walking through it. What's going to happen, Russ? I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you, time and time again, testimony after testimony, story after story, you know, result after result, people are saying that this works. It will change your life. You letting people behind the counter, you stop making excuses and, and doing that. I've been there, all right? It's embarrassing. It's scary. 
but it will change your life. It will change your world, man. I promise you. And it's letting some people behind the counter to get to know you because in many cases, and especially in my case, and there's some good social psychology research to back this up, that you don't even know yourself. Like, you know, if you get somebody, if somebody writes something on the back of your head while you're asleep, like I'm bald, all right? I don't have any air. I shave my head. Um, it's just, it's just what I do. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of bald anyway, like I'm losing my hair. So I figured just shaving it is like a preemptive strike and it's kind of cool today. I don't know. And it's the summer. So we're going into summer. It, it's just cooler. Anyway, if somebody wrote like while I was sleeping, something on the back of my head, I wouldn't be able to see it. And I'd walk around looking like an idiot all day unless somebody was nice enough and kind enough to say, hey, Russ, somebody drew a middle finger on the back of your head. You know, that would be embarrassing. I mean, that would be probably offensive to people. But, you know, if nobody came up and told me, I would get a lot of chuckles now, wouldn't I? So it's kind of like that. That's what that group will do for you in your heart, on a heart level, is they will help you see stuff about yourself that you may not be able to see. But it's going to take being honest, vulnerable, and finding some people you can be real around. And that is critically important. All right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that there. So that's a big part of that quote by Bill W. And it's a big part of Patrick Karn's research. Um, having some folks you can be honest around who don't just piss and moan and whine all the time. And if you're in a group with folks with a defeatist attitude, I pray that you would either be a catalyst to change that or if you're spending too much time and energy trying to change it, that maybe you would see your way to another more healthy group of folks. Um, a friend of mine and I were talking about this and how, you know, this defeatist attitude can creep in. Like I'm believing God that, that I, I'm believing and trusting in God that I would see some victory, Right over this or believing and trusting in God that I would find a job one guy is struggling with. And something we can fall into is, you know, just, okay, I, I want these things, but if they don't happen, that's okay too, right? And there's some truth in that, but when it comes to sin, right? When it comes to a, an addiction, something that owns you, God says, Jesus says, I, I came to set the captives free, right? I come to preach good news to the poor and set the captives free. Uh, Matthew 5, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, right? These are, this is good news. Bad news is just vague, defeatist maybeisms, right? So I'm going to conclude, th this is going to take a while, right? So uh, this series of shows, I'm going to do a series of shows on this, Why So Much Relapse, uh, dealing with steps one, two, and three. But I want to leave you with a few Bible verses to end out this, this podcast. The first one is 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.37, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Jesus Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. What does all this mean, right? That's part of being in a group and talking about this stuff and breaking that defeatist attitude. Because we can say these things, right? But does there really life change? Is that going to bring life change? I would say it will, but it also requires being in community. Like the church isn't a building. The church is people. And it's confessing your sins one to another, praying for one another, talking stuff out, being transparent, being open, but walking towards Christ. And it's taking those verses and realizing that you will go your own way, right? Like that's part of the definition of love. God didn't make robots, you know? If he forced us to love him, it would not be love. You get that? So when it comes to these scriptures and, and talking them out and working them out, rather than being in like a Bible study or a recovery group where we just talk about what we should and ought to do, we talk about like, you know, the Philippians 4, you know, the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How does that impact my life? What What is that? How is it working itself out in my life? Because I'm going to either take that and, and believe it and run with it, or I'm going to reject it. But either way, we have a choice here. And we will go our own way. And how we go our own way depends on how we define love. And whether that love will default on us or whether it will default on others or God or, you know, it's drawing from his wellspring of love. Do you understand that? You will go your own way because that's, that's what we love. We will go in a direction and I'm praying that you fight, right? I'm praying that you fight this addiction thing because there's something to it, all right? Letting, letting real life meet scripture you know like here's what the bible says and here's how it's playing itself out in my life that's different than saying here's what the bible says and here's what i should and ought to do no here's what i'm actually doing and i'm talking about that with my brothers who love me or or have my best interest at heart because defining love is the fact that you will go your own way First John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life, right? So that you may know. I write these things so that you may know. This is learning. This is worshiping God with your mind. That we're all in a redemption story. The definition of repentance on a root level is smashing idols. That we're walking out of Egypt, out of slavery, and towards newness of life. There's something about that redemption story. One day at a time, manna from heaven, you know? Victory today.
got today. And that's powerful. I love you guys. This is going to be a conclusion of part one of why do so many people relapse steps one, two, and three. My name is Russ Shaw. Bye. How can I?